Spit on Your Podcast, a monthly podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is the time once a month where Jess puts down her bloody knitting needles and I step away from the TV to discuss horror, cult, and subversive cinema with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. In this episode, in celebration of National Indigenous Month here in Canada, we are looking at Indigenous horror and talking about zombies and the destructive impact of colonialism on Indigenous communities in the two films The Dead Can't Dance from 2010 and Blood Quantum from 2019. So pick your poison and listen on if you dare. There's the dogs that got my family. I was sentimental about my dog. Turns out immune to the plague doesn't mean immune to being eaten alive. So Kelly, why did we choose these films and this topic? Well, well, well. So like Jess said, June here in Canada is National Indigenous History Month, which is a time to recognize the rich history, heritage, resilience, and diversity of First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people. So we had announced earlier this year that we were no longer going to be doing what we kind of saw as performative themed months and kind of wanted to focus down on, you know, our creativity and what we were excited about and inspired by in film. And we will continue to discuss movies from all sorts of filmmakers and be as inclusive as possible, do our best as we always do. But since we had never touched this subject before and really rarely does anybody do this, and it was June, we really thought that we should do an Indigenous Horror Month. I would say like, unfortunately, there isn't really a deep well of work to talk about, which is a shame because I would love to see more horror or genre releases from Indigenous folks. There tends to be a lot more like action adventure type movies, but not, you know, the genre we all love and why we're all generally here, which is horror. So I thought this was an important thing to touch on as we go into no longer doing more like specific kind of themed months like that. And I completely agree. And I think it's something that also that gets often brought up a couple times we've noticed in our last five years of podcasting, we would find ourselves in our research or in topics touching upon things such as colonialism and and how they relate to various themes in horror. And here in Canada, that's actually like a really close topic that we don't talk about enough. And I know this month for myself, sitting down, sitting with these two movies and and a lot of the research that we did around the, the topics that were presented in these films, looking up other Indigenous horror movies that are out there. And what's the nice thing is that we're seeing a, more Indigenous horror movies come out, but there still needs more work to be done. Like, we, we still, there's still the struggles of trying to get the funding, getting the recognition, because they're really addressing, and I want to say, Canada's deep, dark shame, which is colonialism. What we have mm-hmm. done here to the Indigenous people here in Canada, and over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of conversation about truth and reconciliation and reparations and reflecting and really trying to reconcile with that history. And it's been a really reflective month because I know for Kelly and I, both of us growing up in Northern Ontario with a reservation that was literally right beside North Bay, or the city we lived in, we... We would we talked about how we experience that uh, Aboriginal culture and stuff like that, and how that kind of impacted us in a way growing up, and also like the history lessons. Like you know, I remember thinking so much in Canadian history, we learned so much about Confederation, but we we, we breeze mm-hmm. by things like 
residential schools, the reservations, why like we never, yeah. it never goes in unless you decide as an individual to do the research yourself and find out yourself, which is really something that needs to be corrected in our education system. And I'm really hoping that it's being corrected in our education system, that they are bringing that by. So this is why we felt like this is an important topic. And also what we just experienced with COVID-19 and the pandemic even highlighted these issues even more mm-hmm. here in Canada. Yeah. Yes. It's been, yeah, it's been a bit of a month. It, I have to say it's been sobering it's been very enlightening it's been very upsetting and kind of disturbing and we're here to talk about tough things so speaking of tough things we're going to give you folks a brief history of canadian colonialism which essentially is cultural genocide and so this all started when the americas started to become part of the 16th century before which the indigenous folks in north america had their own everything their own kind of like government kind of scenarios and their ceremonies, belief systems and knowledge that they developed over generations and generations and generations regarding a balanced kind of codependency relationship with the land. And that element of their belief system and spirituality is going to be very important when we talk about these movies. And so when the white Europeans came over, what was great at the time anyways, initially there was a pretty decent relationship going on. They had found a way to trade knowledge and skills and have this kind of balanced relationship with the indigenous people until they found them that they were no longer needed and then viewed them as uh, an encumbrance to them. They essentially, you know what, folks, it was greed. Yeah, it was greed. They wanted more land and the indigenous folks had the land. This relationship that once started out as cooperative, you know, uh, indigenous communities helping European settlers get to know the land. They had trading alliances. They also even supported each other in military uh, agreements, like, you know, the French against the English, all those things. But eventually, like Kelly said, they turned against them because they were in the way of taking complete ownership of the land. So through the use of guns and unfortunately, old war bioweapons such as smallpox, tuberculosis, influences, they started to kill off more and more of the indigenous peoples. And this was all done through colonialism. So under Canadian colonialism, when all of a sudden indigenous people were deemed a problem and seen as obstructing the total control and access of all land and resources, so British lawmakers came in and decided to be able to strip indigenous people of the title and the rights that they held to the land, they started putting in place structures and systems to systematically assimilate ethnic minorities into the European white settler system. And it typically erased all cultural identity and connection to the land and also ownership. Like through the British people owning um, Aboriginal people, they would thus own the land and then eventually steal the land. And so what ends up happening is we get the introduction of residential schools in 1883. And this is like a really hard topic to talk about here in Canada because especially during COVID-19 when they were finding unmarked graves of Aboriginal children at old old sites that were residential schools, it was really bringing this awareness to the forefront that these schools were forcibly removing children from their homes and their communities and forcing them into Western-style school systems to 
in quotes, save their savage soul by eradicating their beliefs, all the traditional social values, the way they connect with each other with their community, their language, and literally their entire way of life so that they can have the land and have their resources. So children at these schools were severely mistreated at these schools. They were, you know, there was abuse, there was rape, they were like, they, they would try to, you know, run back to their communities and they would be forced back. And here in Canada, like many of them died and were buried in unmarked graves. And uh, sadly, the last of these schools did not close until 1996 here in Canada. But they were literally designed to alienate Indigenous children from their land and from their system of self-governance, from their traditions, from their elders, and make them into the perfect colonial ethnic minority. And it was able to show the control that the Canadian government and the British government could have on these individuals and then send them back out into the into the reservations that they created, which end up creating more problems within the community and more disruption. Like over, I think now, because we're still finding more and more mass graves, unfortunately, right now I think the number stands at over 4,100 children which is deeply disturbing. And so as these children are being carted off into these terrible, also religious, um, Western institutions, the parents of them were having their land rights denied, economic opportunities removed and reduced, you know, de-escalated, political voices, again, reduced, harmed, and like Jess said, like you said, like they, this was a way to alienate and isolate these families because they knew they coming into this land. Indigenous people are all about family, community, and that is not how, you know, our um, European settlers, white settlers, you know, us. Oh, boy. That's not how we lived. Definitely not. So that was also, I'm sure, very threatening and strange to them. The parents are also feeling the effects of this, obviously deeply upset that their children are being forcibly removed from their homes, but every their whole lives are being absolutely destroyed. And one of the movies we're going to talk about today, Blood Quantum, was written directed by Jeff Barnaby and he does he has another movie out called Rhymes for Young Ghouls which is all about residential schools but within that and the thing that I mean I grew up in North Bay so long ago mm-hmm. but the thing that really stood out to me was the stigma yeah the stigma towards indigenous people or native folks of our land and that was very powerful and I remember that very vividly mm-hmm. and I always thought that was very very upsetting and not called for it's unfair but the adult survivors and people that had their children removed experienced shame and guilt they had to own their powerlessness because they could not protect their children, could not protect their siblings from the residential schools, which resulted in coping behaviors and coping mechanisms that were destructive and toxic, self-abusive, the abuses of others, like substance abuse, poverty, addiction. Like that was a big thing. And it still happens. And we've talked about like intergenerational yeah. trauma multiple times. And this is kind of what they still experience. And I'm sure during the last three years of the discovery of way like so many of these mass graves is that is bringing a lot of that back. And what really struck me like with the research, but also with these two movies is that during this discovery of more and more mass graves, indigenous folks didn't turn to hate violence and revenge, generally speaking, like we'll see in blood quantum overall, but with like melancholy and community which is so deeply ingrained in their belief system anyways. And also we see more of that in our other movie, The Dead Can't Dance. 
They are a non-violent people overall. Again, much the dismay of white settlers who for centuries perpetuated a very different story. While these things were happening, while the Indian Act came in and forced relocations and restricting the movement of Aboriginal communities, there's also, there's moments of resistance that happened throughout this. Like a group of Indigenous people tried to create less colonial ways to interact with creating equitable and respectful relationships. They worked together to create schools where groups can learn from each other through cooperation, bring back that cooperative relationship. But it was never funded by the government. The government was always try- under trying to undermine these groups act. And this rejected any proposals to change these schools and to be able to have an education where Indigenous traditional activities are also learned and experienced by also white settlers as well. So it's this really upsetting relationship to know that it started out cooperative, but then eventually Western Europeans come in, take it over They for greed and land. They start trying to, literally like Kelly said earlier, cult, complete cultural genocide, completely eradicate Indigenous people from their lands, their homes. This is This was their land to begin with welcome us to it and when they tried to act within the government to make the changes there was there was resistance there was fight back and we know that we're we're starting to see change but it's not happening and it's not happening soon enough and this is why i think these two movies that we're going to talk about today uh blood quantum and the dent can't dance are really important films because they really provide a moment of education for people if they're willing to listen and hear what these films have to say and the first movie we're going to talk about is blood quantum Dispatch. Doris. I hear Chief. Today's been crazy. Really crazy. In Bui Nook. Baba Jimmy Machu, what did you Nobody immune here but us. We're supposed to be helping people. We're supposed to be surviving. Well, that was really fucked up. So Jess, how did you hear about Blood Quantum? What's your story and history with this one uh so this is a first time watch and i heard about it when yeah so i heard about it when it was released and being released and everyone talked about it like rumor magazine did a whole spread on it and it was something i was really interested in and then i actually picked up a used copy of it from um, a store here in ottawa Mm. and i was like well this is perfect i'm gonna be i want to sit down and watch this movie so when we decided to do this episode and do blood quantum i was like i'm I'm looking forward to this. I knew I was coming, going in for an emotional roller coaster, and uh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> wow. How about you? I did not realize this is a first time watch for you. For some reason, I thought it was at least a second time watch. Nope. I remember the the hubbub a number of years ago about this movie. I probably even read the the Rue Morgue issue or at least their coverage of it. And a few years ago, I did I watched it for the first time. Um, I had heard about its importance and that it was a pretty brutal zombie flick. Mm. So um, I watched it then. So this is my second time around. And to be honest, I liked it much more this time around. So I don't remember it having much of a super big impact on me when I watched it a few years ago. So 
I was more than happy to revisit it. It was time, I think, and I thought it was good timing. I agree. I honestly think I did the research on this film before I actually watched it, mm. and I feel like the research really helped inform my watching, which right. I which yeah. I really appreciate. I didn't think that, and I think that's what really informed why I end up loving this film. So getting mm. into our likes. Kelly, yes. what did you like about this film? Definitely do really like it. Um, it's uh, very brutal, and I definitely forgot that it was as brutal as it was. It's very violent. I feel like it's very angry. It's a very gory movie, which I always appreciate, but it sometimes I just was shocked by how gnarly it could get. The family dynamics and the characters, I thought, were really interesting and great and really fleshed out. Love Grandpa. He oh my is God, yes. an icon. <laughs> <laughs> Love him. Yeah. I do appreciate that uh, it made me do the extra work to explore more of my white subtler roots. And uh, doing the research definitely helped add. It added, like you said, Jesse, I added to my appreciation and, and knowledge and, and everything that's happening in the movie. Like if you read Jeff Barnaby interview interviews, which we did a lot of them for our research to gain insight is that he's like, if you don't know kind of the history, a lot of the stuff is going to go over your head, which is true. And then folks do the work and figure it out. And then you'll get so much, I feel like so much more out of the movie. I mean, I think it's a, a generally a pretty good like zombie movie. Um, but if that extra element makes it a little extra special. I enjoyed the ferociousness of Jeff Barnaby's approach to this and the subject matter and overall his unwillingness to turn away from native history. But he also does it without doing like with such a heavy handedness, right? It's there's little things again, like he said, that it might go over your head if you don't exactly sure of the history. Um, it's like something in a dialogue. It'll be like a certain visual. So doing two watches of it is, I think, really helpful. But I really like his aesthetic, too, because I watched his two feature films. I notice a generalized aesthetic that I really like. And I really liked like the costume design and, and the masks and, and that like there's I really mm -hmm. like that kind of attention to, to detail in that way. The last thing I'll say about it is that I don't know about you, Jess, but something about watching Indigenous films like North American indigenous films are about those people feels deeply Canadian. Yes. And I know it'd be North American, but I feel it's very Canadian. And uh, yeah, so it just, I don't, there's, it's almost like a familiarity in it that I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you about that Canadian feeling. Cause like when the moment we started, I started watching the film and I was like, oh, it's Telecanada. Like all of a sudden I was like, this is Canadian. And then of course, like I get put into that Canadian mindset and like yeah. I was saying earlier it kind of reminded me of like what it was like living in North Bay beside a reservation and you know and just how people's attitudes were and stuff like that and it was just so I really yeah. kind of brought me back to to that yeah. time and and how people are generally still are today and uh, so yeah for me like I love this film and like mm -hmm. I said to you on the day that I watched it the last 15 minutes <laughs> oh. of the film I was bawling oh, oh no like it, it to <laughs> me it was this film was an emotional roller coaster because like you said you feel the anger like it, it really plays with your emotions because you feel the anger you feel the trailer wanting to you know just do right by everyone in the community you know and and trying to keep a calm level-headed you know and then you mm -hmm. have like the elders like oh fuck yeah like you said grandpa I fucking <laughs> loved him just like <laughs> knowing like understanding why Lysol is angry and understanding where trailer is coming from but at the same time too yeah. being like I'm just connected to the land and I'm here to protect the land and at the end of the day that's you know what it's all about it's like the connection with that land and preserving that mm -hmm. connection to the land 
it's become one of my favorite zombie films up there with Train to, Train to Busan. Like, and you know me, I, I don't really care much for zombie films. It's not, mm-hmm. they're not really my thing. They're, but this one, it, it hit that emotional nerve that I was like, and because it's not just, it's using, it's really using the zombie metaphor for what it's supposed to be. And that whole, and we'll talk about that, but the whole dehumanization aspect of people like he said the special effects like I was impressed you know when he you know reading his interviews and you know he didn't have like he doesn't he didn't get the same funding like other people would have gotten to make those things Mm -hmm. happen but yet he does such a great fucking job everything from the lighting to the sound to like like some of those those scenes were very versatile was not expecting a zombie eating mother like he wasn't afraid to go the distance right like and that's what I appreciated because like he wasn't afraid of hold, to hold back like you know to and that brings you into the the story more with this film um I always like I really always appreciate the usage of native language in mm-hmm. these films when mm-hmm. they go back and forth because it, it feels authentic it feels appropriate like it just mm-hmm. yeah so yeah I really love this film and mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. That's exciting. Yes. I love when a first time watch is successful. Um, mm-hmm. Was there anything you disliked about it? What I disliked was that there is a misogynistic element to this film with mm-hmm. um, the character in terms of Joss and Charlie. But at the same time, too, though, I saw something different in the end. And like, I know that there's earlier on elements with the way the women are treated and stuff like that, but that I liked how the end of the movie, it was reframed differently. And Joss was put into that kind of like mother earth role, because I also know that a lot of Aboriginal communities are matriarchies Mm -hmm. and the role of the mother and the grandmother is very strong and very powerful. So there wasn't really much I dislike. I mean, I didn't like, though I I liked it. There's, uh, you know, it's generally kind of like, you know, it's still got that, it's a post-apocalyptic zombie. Yeah. movie kind of standard kind of thing some of the pacing and it's not always the most engaging like and dislike but in both of these movies beloved characters die Ugh. and I didn't like that <laughs> I get it story fine but you know we we do spoilers all the time because we dissect these movies inside and out but yeah. trailer dies and oh, that broke my heart I was not waiting you know what I was it was too soon I was not I was not okay <laughs> or ready with that <laughs> But I get it. I mean, it makes it, you know, again, everything seem very authentic and realistic. Like, it's a, again, it's a zombie apocalypse. Folks are going to die. Mm-hmm. It's, it's despite if they're beloved or not. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I would say that. <laughs> Everything is blocked off. We got four-man teams at every blockade. The road's coming in off of 132 and nothing really to worry about. Stragglers still stumbling in from some of the podunk towns on the island. Pretty old and mangled. Don't move as fast, so they've been picking them off easy. Bodies are starting to pile up faster than we can bury them, so we might have to spark up those pyres again, regardless of who sees them. You're getting the same problem on the bridge. Zed's been coming in towny side nonstop. We're wasting an ammo trying to keep them from ramping up the blockade. Bumper found a way around that without having to fire a single shot or mop up a single body. problem than the dead walking around townies the live breathing ones they're coming across in almost the same numbers some people in red crow don't like it but we got to do right by survivors 
Okay, so moving into our first batch of discussion about these movies. So Blood Quantum was created and made in 2018, and it was going to be released in 2019. It did a short festival run, and it was set to do a theatrical run in 2020. But guess what happened in 2020, folks? COVID-19 hit and changed our lives forever. And I feel like that makes this movie even more interesting and important to kind of reflect back on. Like you said, Jess, earlier that this pandemic highlighted exponentially the issues with marginalized workers and workplace conditions and how absolutely fragile so many systems are or poor the systems are. And so, you know, yeah, let's go back to COVID-19, that like tumultuous, very scary time that really we are still in. And so a couple of fun facts about this, fun as in sad, but uh, so COVID-19 cases, so coming from Toronto and Ottawa, which is where we're at, COVID-19 cases were 1.5 to 5 times higher among racialized populations and non-racialized populations in our cities. Data from First Nations peoples living on the reserve also point to higher rates of infection with COVID-19 compared to the general population, about 69% higher. During this time, the pandemic reflected, uh, as we saw, existing health inequities that were strongly influenced by social and economic factors, stuff like income, education, employment, and housing that shape our, as individuals, place in society. So the people that were hit the most, again, Indigenous people, racialized communities, the LGBTQ folks, um, the folks that experience discrimination, racism, and historical trauma, we are the, I say we, sorry. I'm, I say we in the sense that so many of these people were in essential workers. I was an essential worker. We all had to be at the front lines from the beginning and the get-go. And that was scary. And in our jobs, in our line of work, we didn't have cushy business jobs and corporate jobs where we could just go and, and work from home and have paid sick leave and health benefits. Like, we didn't really have that. So it really showed the absolute imbalance that we hold in our society here in, we'll say at least, Ontario. It also really highlighted, too, the generational systematic racism and mistreatment of Aboriginal people within the healthcare system. And this is like, this is going back to, back to the residential schools because, like, we didn't, there's a whole history of how Aboriginal communities do not trust Western medicine because of how they were treated Yes. Very early on with forced sterilizations, not getting any proper care, not like when, you know, if someone got sick, instead of being quarantined, they were just put in another home and just, you know, disease just spread. So there is a lot of, there's a lot of fear around the health care system and just a lack of trust of all the systems that I've seen, like in my ex-husband, you know, as much as him and I did not have the greatest relationship, the work he did was within the Aboriginal community. And I learned a yeah. lot through yeah. him about a lot of the injustices, the weariness the mistrust and why like it was really important to have clinics that were at, like run by aboriginal centers because yeah. they were able to both combine the western medicine influences with the traditional teachings of aboriginal communities and to help them feel more safer and more taken care of by the systems and so that's what COVID-19 like you said really highlighted all those economic disparities and stuff like that 
because you know they don't have the means the necessary means to be able like you said to have to be able to have jobs where they didn't have to go out into the community and be exposed and constantly being exposed and then when they were exposed they have to go to hospitals and not getting hospitals where they're not being treated appropriately and they don't trust the hospitals so they don't go to the hospitals yes the cycle this vicious cycle right yep. and then we got into earlier um we, we we didn't get into but one of the articles that we read talked about an actual community in the united states where and this is actually also here in canada as well there are isolated communities um, for Abor- isolated Aboriginal communities that don't have proper access to clean water, they don't have access, easy access to resources because of their isolation, because of the lack of government funding, because of the things that go in, so they don't have proper water. They also don't even have internet access, so they have no means yeah. and a way to be able to access the resources or get the updated information about all these different COVID-19 protocols that were coming out. They're always kind of in the darkness, out of the loop, and then when all of a sudden doctors start going online and you have to book everything online, once again Again, another mm-hmm. community is excluded from that from that accessibility. So it highlighted all these inefficiencies that still throughout the system that everyone was like, this has always been there. Like people who have who work within the Aboriginal community or work side by side with the Aboriginal yep. community, especially here in Canada, like these have always been here. It's always been like this. But COVID nineteen really highlighted because those are the people who are working the front line who like Kelly said doing the day-to-day stuff that our systems would literally crumble without them exactly um in an interview with Jeff Barnaby you know somebody had brought up the the COVID-19 pandemic and the crisis and he said what's interesting about this virus is it's the way native people have always lived it's nothing new for a native community to face record unemployment while at the same time dealing with large amounts of diseases my wife is navajo and there's rampant cancer on the reserve just by virtue of being so close to the uranium mines there so there's and he said that there's stuff like that baked into the script and so again if you don't really know indigenous history here in north america you're gonna miss it and he was saying it's like the general public is just coming to terms with it now. That's what's that's what we were so blatantly made aware of. And he had also said that the whole film is based on this concept of irony. The irony that natives being immune to a plague, the irony of them being put into a position of power, and the irony of Lysol warning against the zombie outbreak that he himself initiates. It's about flipping the script about how indigenous people have been treated for centuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which brings in this idea of environmental racism, right? Mm. Climate change is impacting everyone, but it's really impacting indigenous people and these vulnerable communities because they are dependent. They have a codependent relationship with the with the land, and if the land is changing, their relationship with the land is going to change, and they're going to suffer the impact of all the toxic changes in our environment because of displacement, because of lack of clean water, basic needs. It's on layer upon layer upon layer of issues that need to be resolved to help these communities communities and what you brought up earlier too also is what he was talking about was systemic privilege you know that lived experience of marginalized uh, groups that enable to discern them to deep structural patterns of systems that oppress them which tend to remain invisible to people like us people who are in positions of social political and economic privilege we don't see it but like you said the irony about this happening in blood quantums like aboriginal people see this they see it every day they, they understand what is happening and how this is going to impact them. And to them, a zombie outbreak, nothing different. Just a, yeah. <laughs> just a change in the script. <laughs> like, Yeah, just uh, another day, another genocide. Okay, let's, let's, we're going to roll with it. And there's a couple of, of quotes from the movie that I think were really oh. impactful and interesting. Um, so 
somebody says like, hey, we're supposed to help people. And then somebody else chimes in. Sorry, I didn't grab the names. Um, They said, we're not supposed to do anything. We need to survive, which they have been needing to survive for centuries. So that's what they're doing. And there's And there's a variety of different, there's like two contrasting and conflicting viewpoints in this movie. And that's kind of like one of the quotes from those two different viewpoints. And there's a point where Trailer takes his shirt off because he's got a wound to be cared for. And you see all of the healed bite marks. That was really powerful for me because they're immune. But like they said in the movie, we might be immune, but we're not immune to being eaten alive. And like, whoo, that gave me chills. Like, yes, you are immune, but you still have to live in this. You can still be harmed and killed, not by a plague, but by being eaten alive. But survival is painful and it's traumatizing. And that's what we're seeing in this movie. And, you know, COVID was an airborne virus. It spread very quickly. It harmed a lot of, killed a lot of people, harmed a lot of people. Chronic COVID, long-term COVID is a thing that exists and, So what I think is so interesting, again, about these two movies is what historically has demoralized, dehumanized, and stigmatized our Indigenous folks is what saves them in these two movies. And that's what's so interesting and subversive about them. And that's why I love that we paired them together because they're so similar. They are two very similar films. And another quote that got brought up in this film that I really enjoyed, and I wish I had gotten in more in detail, but it was when Moon, he's uh, the older gentleman who's talking about how the Earth has changed and it's decided that I'm done with these white men are viruses. It's done. It's taking back. And it's like, and when he says that, I was just like, yes. Like, this is how I feel. Like, what COVID-19 is doing, what the world is doing right now is like, it's done. Like, we're we're done in the earth. And that's always something that Aboriginal communities have also warned people, warned white settlers about. You keep hurting the land, it will come back and it will punish you. It will, because you are abusing your right and your privilege to be on this land. Whereas in Aboriginal communities, they a land is appreciated all the time they in all their ceremonies and all their traditions they always acknowledge the land and they thank the land for having them right and that's what makes blood quantum so important is that who is the what is the first symbol that something's wrong the land trailer's father sees that fish come to life and i love yeah, he how knows. he does it exactly this is what i love so much about this film they know right away something's not right and we just need to deal with it and survive deal with it and survive there's no protagonist white protagonist running around being like i don't this is weird what's going on let's do a bunch of experiments let's figure it out they're like no and then oh, it's too late it's too late yeah. exactly it's too late but no they're like yeah. no the land is poisoned we saw this coming. It is time. What really got to got to me and what brought it to my mind was white industrialization. It is harming people overall, the human race, marginalized people, because so many uh, marginalized and racialized people work in those types of jobs. Definitely like slaughterhouses and abattoirs, like and meatpacking plants, stuff like that. But like factory farming the climate changes everything that we have done to the planet and yeah it's gonna it's coming back to bite us in the ass all of these types of things and exactly and what's the movie is there's some really beautiful moments because there's those couple of scenes of animation oh i love those and it starts with it opens with again look like the land being poisoned and then poisoning uh, i believe it's a pregnant woman like a pre- like essentially it's poisoning our generations and like you said jess who is the one who are the ones that are most immediately and deeply affected are indigenous folks, are marginalized folks, are racialized folks. Yeah, the caretakers of the land. They have always been the caretakers, yeah. Move into zombie? 
Yeah, so let's move into... So so speaking of caretaker of the land and the whole idea of the zombie myth, so this is really interesting because obviously both these films are using the concept of the zombie to be a symbol of this change in the land and the toxicity and stuff like that. But what's something in our research is we know zombies from George Romero's films, right? And, we, and everyone's talked about it and over and over about this idea and this metaphor about the zombie being about consumerism, culture, American social ills, capitalism, Vietnam, civil war tensions, nuclear fears, etc. 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 However, when you go back to the history, when you go back to the roots of where zombie mythology comes from, it actually comes from a Haitian culture in the 17th, 18th century. And it was known on Saint Dominique when it was ruled by France, where it was a place where essentially brutal slavery was practiced and slaves were essentially worked to death. So the original zombie myth was has all about being a slave to one's own flesh, and that is being mere inhumane treatment of African slaves from 1625 to the 1800s. So slaves believed that dying would release them from the misery, and they would go back to Africa in the afterlife and be full of freedom. Yet, if a slave took their own life, they would not be permitted to go back to Africa back in their afterlife, but would be condemned as undead slaves in the Spanish plantations, just soulless zombies. So really, so this was where zombie mythology came from, this concept of dehumanization, that people just becoming reanimate corpses trapped because of the imprisonments and the murder that they suffered in their, in their previous lives. And that eventually evolved because the Haitian Revolution was in 1804 and with the end of French colonialism, it brought zombie, the zombie mythology went back into folklore and it kind of evolved with voodoo religion, with zombies becoming the corpses of reanimated shamans and voodoo priests. And so for Western civilization, we really got introduced to the whole idea of the the zombie through the film White Zombie. This introduced white people as interlopers on the zombie legend and this is where, like I said earlier, it becomes a commentary about social and western ills. You know, linking in the pandemics and humans becoming flesh eaters but really, the zombie has moved away from what it really was all about. The body being under constant threat of capture, imprisonment, and murder. And really what zombie movies as we know them today is that it's a virus. It's a rage virus. They're infected with something, turning them into kind of dehumanized creatures. So it's kind of coming back to humans, nature, survival, viruses, which is very important and again relevant to the movies we're covering today because... That's what the both the movies are. They're about viruses that turn, folks, which we haven't said yet, but both of these movies that we're talking about today only turn white people into zombies. So they're the only ones that become infected with these viruses. And so what saves our Aboriginal protagonists and people in these movies? Well, Blood Quantum is not just the name of the movie, but it's also a name of an idea, something, a strategy used by white settlers way back when that government to, quote unquote, like authenticate the amount of, quote, native blood a person has so then they could trace their ancestry, which is not rooted in science. It's rooted in colonialization. Okay, folks, this is not a thing. It was just another way to control and isolate really the big controlling aspect of this. Like they came, we came over here and it's like, we need to control everything. How about we don't need to control people, but that's really what it was like. And what I find really interesting and something that is very obvious, but in the research, there was something that just like one sentence that said, unlike any other ethnic group, native Americans have to continuously prove their identity. Why? Nobody else has to do this. I don't have to enroll to be a white person. 
Like, I have to prove I'm white. Here we go. No, it's absurd. And it still happens. Like, this is the thing. And so that's what's so interesting about these movies. It's like, hey, so again, like I said, like what used to stigmatize and dehumanize us is actually saving our lives. It's our blood quantum. And I really got, yeah, that you brought that up because it was, like I said, all purposely about dividing people into fractions and based upon your individual fractions was based upon the amount of land that you were eligible to get, you know, essentially yeah. saying to Aboriginal people, even though the land is yours and, and it's yep. it your by right and stuff like that, we are going to define how much mm-hmm. of it you can own. And it's yes. essentially defining Native Americans out of existence because, like you said, they're continuously having to prove their identities, which then creates forces them to be out of touch with their own identity and culture because they're led to lead these two different lives in the system that isn't friendly to them, regardless of whether they, you know, completely say, like, well, you know, identify as Aboriginal or not, right? And I know that there is still a lot of controversy around uh, the the concept of the blood quantum. I know some people, and we, and we kind of see it, too, in these two films where there's, like, this pros were the concept of blood quantum because at, at some point the Indian Reorganization Act in 1934 allowed for tribes to be able to control the enrollment cr- mm-hmm. uh, qualifications yeah. of this instead yeah. of the federal government. So it was kind of seen as like, you know, protecting a declining population, trying to protect the, f- the erosion of the culture and the fear of outsiders coming in and selling away mm-hmm. their land. But that at the same time too, it's still causing steep decline in population, but also it's still a tool of genocide that was used by U.S. and federal governments to remove any race aboriginals from their land from exist from existence reduce their numbers and create a strain on families because here's the thing not all members can qualify and so you're right and we see and we'll see this in one of the films well we see it in both the films in blood quantum they don't specifically talk about the you know idea of your of like how many fractions you are aboriginal stuff like that they're just like well you're you're a townie you know that makes that means that you're not part of the reserve like you know we in blood quantum we see like the the concept what of what it's like to have a reservation right next to a, um, a white settler community but in the dead can dance there's literally a, a quick conversation where the guy's like well i'm a quarter aboriginal yeah. and he's like okay yeah. you're legit and i was like yeah you're right but i remember yeah. growing up in north state that there were people like if you didn't have this card that proved that you uh were aboriginal there was conflict right yeah Mm-hmm. And they still have that. It's a status yep. card, right? It's a status oh, card, yeah. Good lord in 2023, right? So what is, again, so so interesting and fantastic and powerful about these movies is this complete power shift. For centuries, their power was taken away from them, stripped away, chipped away, bit by bit by bit. But in Blood Quantum, they get to be kind of in charge. They get to be the ones who create the rules and essentially kind of says who lives and dies which was put against them for 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 so so long and uh in again another quote or at least a bit of the one of the interviews with jeff barnaby he says that if you're a non-native watching this movie there's going to things that go over your head and i thought this went over my head until i did the research but one of the characters tries to bring in like a little girl's blanket into their compound and they're like are you fucking crazy you can't bring this in here and so if you're not informed about indigenous history smallpox was deliberately brought to indigenous people in canada via infected blankets so if you don't know that that scene just goes right over your head and you know it's stuff like that in the movie that again you blink and you'll miss it like turn away like you got to pay attention and it deserves your attention but what i thought was so interesting here is that our indigenous folks in this they're not afraid of zombies 
Like, it's just interesting that it's the white people that are the zombies, but they're afraid of the white people Mm -hmm. because they have had to have been for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I think this is why we see so much anger pervading this movie and causes the climax. And like you said, Jess, I agree with you. Like, I see both sides. I'm very torn when it comes to these ideas of, you know, do we help white people? Do we just say, fuck them? Just like, let them rot. They have let us rot for that 100 years, 100 plus plus years. You know what I mean? So... The intergenerational trauma, the historical trauma, which we've talked to a few times, and like Lysol. Lysol is such a fascinating character, and I liked him a lot. I liked him a lot. So that doesn't surprise me that you were a fan of Lysol's character. All the characters throughout this film were really interesting, and I'm thinking back to when you made the comment earlier about how this found films feel so grounded in reality because in a way it is because he built this film around an event that happened in 1981 where Barnaby's community was raided by Quebec police to address the decimating numbers of salmon fishing in this community and this is like a big thing and I remember this being a big thing in North Bay this idea of overfishing right because you Hmm. know I remember white fishermen always being angry because they're just like that's not fair we're only allowed to catch so many of these fish and the aboriginals on the reservation can catch so much more so governments would look for ways in which they can raid these communities to essentially just put some control into place right Mm -hmm. and this is something that what I really appreciate that when Barnaby does this film not only is he shooting this film on the reservation in which this all happened a lot but he's also showing how this feels for them and this reality of this ex- of his existence of like you said being afraid of white settlers because in any time they could just come in raid and take everything away completely change their whole structure again and we see that intergenerational trauma these people who have had a long history of genocide and social oppression of losing their culture and their language and their generations and the grief that they carry with them and it manifests in anger and it manifests in that's in Lysol it manifests in his like anger the self-loathing with his trailer right like you know you feel for this man who he himself was just a victim of the system just as Lysol was who ended up because his father couldn't be a father to Lysol Lysol ended up in the same system he did foster care acting out people having ideas about him stuff like that so he's got this like anger that just manifests but this is what the aboriginal community carries with them and then you've got the elders right you've mm-hmm. got the elders and grandpa you've got the elders in Joss who is you know the women the women carry a lot of the burdens of the aboriginal community to try and protect the men and the women and to be able to help keep them together as a community so so much of that comes up so you you see these characters that are like it's like you're seeing that trauma how it's carried out and even Joseph as a character trying to have a future for himself and not get himself into trouble and not fall into the same stereotypes that every like that his like brother Lysol had fallen into and that his father is like had fallen into is trying to get out of so it's just like this these complicated weaving narratives that at the same time you don't realize that you've witnessed in life what you witnessed Mm -hmm. seen as well you would think in in a zombie movie that it's us versus them mentality that it's going to be like it's us versus the zombies Mm -hmm. nope Zombies are just kind of just a drop of the barrel here. It's it's us. It's the indigenous people against the white people. That's exact. That's it. zombies are this metaphor, but really what it is, we're afraid of the people, and it's us versus them again. As always, do we save them? Do we let them rot? But if we do try to save them, they're the ones that bring 
could potentially bring harm into the community if they get infected. So it's a very, very big risk for them to try to save them, of course, right? And as it plays out in this film, that's what happens, right? Yeah. We have someone always, there's always a white person who walks in and decides to hide their bite. Hide their zombie bite. And the whole community gets infected because Lysol gets his dick bitten off. He knows that that person's infected, so then puts takes her and puts her into like the general populace to kill everyone. Yeah, he does that. But like originally he took her to get a blowjob and then Joseph walks in and sees and he's yelling oh. at Joseph being like, don't let her eat it. And is, she's eating his dick. And that's why he's limping throughout the rest of the movie because oh, he, she oh, literally geez. ate his dick off. <laughs> Wow, why and are you limping if your dick's bitten and off? That's but that's when um, he snapped. <laughs> right. Okay, fair. Jeez. He was on the fine yes, line the whole time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was treading water. He was ready to pop. Because once again, and this is something that comes up, a white woman got him in trouble because she got him in trouble in the beginning of the film. Yeah. Where she decided to hit on him, blah, blah, blah. He takes her home, eats her out. She's got period blood. He goes back and everyone's like, oh, you were fighting someone. He's like, no, I just came to get my friends out. But because he has blood on him, he gets thrown in jail. And this is something, yes. this is something yeah. that comes up an issue, this whole idea of men being afraid of aboriginal men going after white women you know and right. that they're not allowed to yeah. have relationships with white women or white women get them in trouble which in this case lilith did yeah um so why don't we talk about the ending briefly of blood quantum so western civilization as a like white settler european kind of descent type thing we know it's very self-destructive i talked about white industrialization we are destroying our own race the human race and our planet and like the planet and everybody on it. So in this movie, we have Joseph and his partner, Charlie. And so she is a white woman and she's pregnant. Though they're also like 16, 17 years old. That is a whole different other thing. But they are teenagers in love and together, which I'm sure causes rife with among like a lot of their peers and family. Still, I mean, that, that definitely is still a thing. And it, uh, so it's... Such an interesting little dynamic, but you're like, oh no, you are a white person, which means you could be infected. You are a danger. You are a high risk person to have in our compound and around here. And you're also pregnant. So that's some like a beloved character's baby. And of course, as we know, she gets bitten. Thanks, Lysol. And we like, we don't know if we're like in the, this like folklore of this virus if the baby would for sure turn probably mm-hmm. probably we don't know for sure but we know for sure like she's bitten she's going to turn at this time she's already like amongst labor like she's already in labor it's a whole climax of of this movie and so she dies obviously and her child is given to indigenous people and that is such a powerful interesting ending because she as a white person is entrusting the future generations of indigenous people to indigenous people it's almost like again flipping that script subverting that script of canada's genocidal education system and childcare policies and like reversing everything and trusting that the future of the human race is in the hands of the indigenous people. Like, maybe it fucking should be anyways. And it's in the hands of Joss, our our main female yeah. Aboriginal protagonist, who is a doctor, strong-headed woman. She is 
calm, kind, rational, but also yes. like yep. she even at points like she was saying she's like I agree with Lysol. I'm just as angry, but as a medical professional, I have an oath and this is what I want to do. But yeah. that is something that is, that is uh, something that is a weight on the shoulders of a lot of the Aboriginal women in the in these communities because they are give like there is a lot of tradition of grandmothers and grandfathers raising a lot of the younger generation because of what happened to a whole generation of Aboriginal men and women from residential schools and from the systems that were put in place on reservations that allowed that kind of hindered them from being the parents that they always wanted to be. So it's always been about community and it's and even in Aboriginal communities it's it, traditionally it's always been about a community raising a family. Family yes. And the yeah. women being the, the strong leaders in those and carrying all that compassion because like Earth herself is a mother. And so that's what's so powerful, like you said, of Charlie entrusting her child to her, uh, her Aboriginal partner and his mother to raise her child and knowing and also having the strength to know I, you should let me go. You, I am bitten. There's no hope for me. Yeah. please let me go because we have seen throughout the yeah. film that when people were bitten they're like no 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 somehow save me and we're like no there is just this is it like and that's something I also really appreciate about this film is the matter of factness of it all like mm-hmm. yes there's ethical dilemmas yes there's a lot but it is also this matter of fact that the land is poison th- things are different things have to change and we just have to go with it like you said she asked to be killed and she says before turning into one of those dead people do you think there's more there's do you think there's some subtext to that text? I think so. There was was a probably there's subtext throughout the entirety of this film, but I think just one of those dead people, there's definitely subtext in there. What did you think? I, I would say so. I mean, one of those dead people, one of those dead people are white people. Mm-hmm. They're zombies or white settlers, and she doesn't want to turn into one of them. So she again ah, is entrusting okay, the yes. future of mm-hmm. her biracial indigenous uh, child too like the white people are unfit to raise yes. you know so I was like maybe I'm reading too much into no, no, it no, but no. I was like nothing there's nothing in this movie that does not have a purpose yeah and, and now that you're explaining more of that I can see what you're trying to what you're saying and I said definitely like changing the way changing our ways I don't want to be like those old ways yes I want to change exactly and by changing yes. by trusting by building yes. rebuilding this relationship we, that's how yes. we can change yes Exactly. Chills. Ah. Chills. (laughs) That's filming. Like I said, the last 15 minutes of this film, Jessica bawling. When when Grandpa started going all samurai. Oh, self-sacrificing. He martyred himself. (laughs) The moment he decided to self-sacrifice himself, I was like, and crying. (sighs) Yeah, and that's Blood Quantum. Should we move on to our next movie? Yeah, let's get into the Dead Can't Dance. Everyone, they just fell. See your face by the door. It's what I told you. Something big is happening here. Something big, and from what I can tell, pretty bad. Deadly airborne illness has not seemed to affect Native American people. Officials are speculating that the dead are coming back to life. What? It's really scary. We gotta get to that rendezvous point. Oh my god. Is this the end of the world? Well, Comanche, Namana, descendants of Wild Horse. We stand strong and proud and 
Well, let's just get out of here. Okay, so like I said in the beginning of this uh, episode that there isn't a big, deep well of horror or genre releases from Indigenous people. There are some that are written by non-Indigenous people that have some Indigenous people in it, but we thought it was really important to highlight actual Indigenous creators. And so when we were doing the research, like what other movie can we do for this? This one, The Dead Can Dance, kind of jumped out at us. We're like, okay, well, we also haven't covered zombies before. And these sound very similar. These sound like this is a perfect pairing. So that's how I can say we heard about The Dead Can Dance. I mean, this is a deep cut. I definitely get that. Folks, it is available for free on YouTube from the filmmaker. He has got, he is making this accessible for everyone. And so what's interesting about this movie, I'll quickly say, is that this came out a decade prior to Blood Quantum, but hits on all kinds of the same beats as it does. However, it comes from a more comedic lens. And that's what I liked so much about <laughs> this movie. I liked it a lot. I, this was a first time watch because I'd never even heard of it. Again, like we said, Blood Quantum I had heard of, but The Dead Can Dance, oh my God, I cackled many times. I thought it was very funny. So many dad jokes. <laughs> so many dad jokes i was gonna say i'm like i love dax like he he had the like the same kind of humor i did be like well i knew i shouldn't have gone out of bed today and i'm just like ha 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 yeah so we have our three protagonists and i feel like there's like three main guys there's also like three main men in blood quantum very like male centric as well these two movies and like i think in a very interesting positive way but we have dax and then Ray, Ray with the dad jokes, who is the father of Eddie. So we have these three men. Ray, <laughs> they go to a convenience store to get some supplies, but uh, Dax is like, even in a disaster, you manage to sniff out porn. And Ray's like, it's a gift, as he's looking at porn. It's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> and it just, I just found this movie so charming. You know I love a good micro-budget film, very DIY um, so I liked that a lot. It has very basic zombie makeup, um, but there was a scene that I really liked that I thought they did very well, which is like when they were in the school and there's a zombie horde coming down the hall with some very like 2010s hard rock kind of indie rock playing uh, throughout the entire movie. It makes it very like cool and kind of hip. But, you know, it's an underdog, and I love that. Yeah, it was definitely giving me those, like, low, independent, heart-filled, we're having a good time with this film, but also trying to say something important at the same time, yeah. too. But we don't, but, like, it's not trying to, like, hit you over the head, because even the things that came up that were kind of, were important to the film or kind of, like, made you think back was, like, very kind of quick, and it was, like, kind of hidden within a joke. And you're yes. like, you would laugh and you're like, oh, wait, no, that's not good. But then it did have like some heartfelt moments, you know, especially yeah. when I talked about like the residential schools and because of how Eddie felt Dax, who was called out for not being able to pronounce um, Aboriginal name in a textbook. Because he's like, just because I'm Aboriginal doesn't mean I can say every Aboriginal language. That's not like 
you know, yeah. that stereotyping, right? So calling out the systematic racism and oppression within the school systems. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed this too. It was fun. And it was like, you know, they had zombie strippers. They had a weird, oh, yeah. like, zombie it was cheeky. friend. It was cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just had such a great time with that. It sounded so, so charming, funny. You're right. Heartfelt moments. I really liked all of our characters. Um, yeah, and this obviously was a first time watch for you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I really liked it. Um, any? Is there anything you disliked about it? The only thing I disliked is maybe the runtime because there were some mm-hmm. scenes that went along a little, went on a little too long, and I know they're trying to do it for comedic effect, but then eventually I I lose steam. But other mm-hmm. than that, I enjoyed it. I was always curious where it was going to go. Yeah, I was same with like the runtime, a little bit of the pacing, not always super engaging. And Dax dies. Oh, yes. oh God. Yes. It's like trailer and Dax. Like, no. And the way Dax <laughs> dies in this movie is just like, it's ridiculous. Because you're just like, it wait, is. why is there it's a random? It's an accident. It's yeah. an accident. But you've survived. Oh. You've literally just survived not being yep. bitten by a zombie yep. how many times? And yet you trip yep. and fall and land onto a pole, like a rot, steel rod out of the ground? Yes. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. It was just really too bad. Oh, also, another thing I really liked that I found so funny was like that really like this like really funny cute zombie with a cell phone that yes, he thought was so interesting because yes, he almost seemed yes. to have a bit of a personality. And he's throughout once he's is shown in the movie, he's throughout it. And he's so funny and it's so cute. And I just had such a great, great time with this one. And I thought it was such a, an incredible pairing because, which we'll talk about now, is that there's so many interesting similar elements and I'm like Jeff Barnaby did you see this movie you put together a more angry ascetic higher budget less funny no funny at all kind of version of the dead can't dance yeah like pretty much it took it and I like how when Jeff talked about in in film in blood quantum like how he started out writing and it became really angry it was like first really angry and then he became a father and then it kind of he shifted Mm -hmm. the narrative a bit to it still was angry but went that more tragic more hopeful but more complicated narrative which I think this is what in the dead can't dance really focuses on is something that we saw in both the films as the father, the comp- the complicated father and son relationship that comes yeah. out of this both of these zombie narratives because of the yeah. intergenerational trauma, because of the complicated ways in which families have been forced to connect with each other. Because like in this film, we have you know Ray at, at points I didn't realize Ray was actually Eddie's father until Dax yeah. calls him out and Eddie's yeah. calling him uncle and I was like oh yeah. well, why is and then Eddie's calling him Ray the whole time and I was like oh yeah. because of the complicated relationship Ray yeah. has fallen to, into the system of you know and been incarcerated drinking yes. because of his yeah. own trauma because he was probably yes. a, a, of the residential schools and you can tell he has also anger towards white people because he talks about this you know he, he does it in a cheeky way, but yeah. he's like, when he pushes over the white zombie, he's like, I can never, he's like, in public, I could never push over a white woman. I'd be arrested. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I felt like that was really like that narrative of the film kind of coming out that we're the, trying to repair the relationship between father and sons, because by the end of this film, spoiler, you know, Ray and Eddie make it in and their relationship is rebuilt and they're using their blood to help fund a cure for all these zombies. So it was like you said, it went more of the darkly comedic route than, yeah. <laughs> than uh, blood just quantum. dark, straight so up dark, straight up dark. Woo! But looking at these like eco heroes and these evolutionary narratives that are also complicated by the environmental and our 
colonial history and the zombies in these films are they emphasize the tragic evolution narratives prompted by these viruses right of these people becoming zombies and this being considered the next stage of human evolution We need to leave. I think we need a fucking doctor. Watch your mouth. Come on. Ray! What? Come on! And I think in Blood Quantum, the virus was water-based. I think they, they taught that the, the water was poisoned and stuff like that. But yeah. in Dead yeah. Can't Dance, is airborne. Yeah. Which airborne. is so yeah. interesting because this was in 2010. COVID-19, airborne disease. <laughs> right? Yeah. The um, words I found really funny, they're like radio newscaster, which was just like a total joke the whole time. But yeah, so this similar type of story but this is airborne turn, turning just white people into zombies and so we have our like radio personality i'll call him giving these news updates but it says you know virus shares the same characteristics as like a long dormant strain which causes natives to be susceptible to diabetes alcoholism and what's saving them now is essentially their blood quantum. I mean, they don't say it. Well, they talk about the fraction of nativeness in um, Clooney, that uh, kind of our extra comedic relief kind of sidekick character, but that's what's saving him. They don't say it like they... They they also don't say it in blood quantum, but they don't say it, but it spins us as this, like, poignant... Well, Ray makes a comment. He's like, oh, shit, the thing that was killing us is now saving us, right? And that's what the the poignant thing is. The thing, the blood quantum that forced him into these situations, that forced him into his systems of racism, drugs, alcohol, interracial, everything that was killing them was now is what's saving them. Saving them. The quote-unquote what they were, quote, prone to, meaning because of their historical intergenerational trauma, they're not prone to it. It's just... That's kind of what has happened and forced them into that kind of scenario. But that's, again, what's what's saving them. And that you're right. At the end, it's a very different kind of ending in the sense of where it goes. But it's also the same. Like the future of the human race is now in the hands of indigenous people, like literally in their blood blood quantum what makes them unique is their blood and your unique blood is going to save all of us they are the future future of the survival of the human race not white people white people are not the future to save our human race and that's really the big thing that i took away from these movies and another quote from the movie is that one of the guys says there's a reason this is happening and a reason we are still here yeah to take your land back take your land back this is what's happening now we're rewriting history it's time to take back what has been so yeah so forcibly removed from them and again the both movies have such a powerful statement for this and yes eco heroes you talked about environmental racism we're talking about maybe potential evolution we again viruses in zombie narratives has come back to survival like who's going to get hit hardest hardest with covid 
Who's going to survive? Who's going to get hard, hit hardest with this airborne virus or who's going to survive? And as a reminder, early zombie movies were about, quote, voodoo, uh, slavery, uh, anxieties. But now it's environmental, environmental, toxic chemicals, radiation, evolution maybe question mark is this the evolution and so the there's not a lot of research or academic kind of theory around the dead can dance maybe because it's such a deep cut it's flowing under so many people's radar nobody knows about this movie so i'm really glad that we're we're covering it but there was one really excellent interesting article and a chapter in a book shout out to the wonderful horror academia community for getting us access to this because it's really helped us out but these two movies again they come at it from two different spaces two different narratives blood quantum has our tragic evolutionary narrative and the dead can dance is like our accommodation ecological narrative and i thought that was so interesting so covid19 we know harmed indigenous peoples it was another path the pathogen Another thing that they just have to deal with, and I mentioned this before, white white industrialization is harming quite literally everyone. In Blood Quantum, we do have those two visions, the community interdependence that Trailer and his people have, and then the vengeance white annihilation that Lysol Moon and his people have. And you brought up earlier that really great quote from Moon, which was so good. It was so good. Do you have it? The earth is an animal. Living and breathing. Ah, Alessio. Vanesta Sotio. That's why the dead keep coming back to life. Not because of God. Because this planet we're on is so sick of our shit. This old, tired, angry animal turned these stupid fucking white men into something she can use again. Fertilizer. So yeah, I remember when when Moon says that quote, that was like moment for me as well because it was like, yes, you are so fucking right because this film is embracing the tragic evolutionary narrative of early Darwinism that supports the extermination and the warfare what leads to the destruction of other species and the preservation of one. So our character, humans. yeah, exactly, yeah. humans. Yep. And our character Lysol, he is a representative of this this tragic eco hero, this vengeful trickster, who literally unleashes. Lilith, a yep. white woman, yep. on the rem- and infect uh, she's infected and she unleashes her on the uninfected whites to turn them all into zombies. So literally, just tr- get rid of them all, kill each other off. Like, um, what was it? Survival of the fittest, right? The zombies just kill each other off, and then Aboriginal communities. And that's literally what Trailer wanted to do. He literally wanted to take what was remaining of the community and take them to the mountains, into the fresh where there was fresh water, they were not impacted, and they could survive out there, right? But of course, he was thinking, we'll take. The white settlers with us because that's just what you do but Lysol's like no no that's not what we're gonna do we're gonna save ourselves because the, they wouldn't think twice about us if this was the other situation if we were the infected we would be quarantined we would be mm-hmm. isolated and we would probably be killed off which guess what the history has already done it's already yep. there. history repeats itself and that's yep. what the dead can't dance also brings up as well while they bring it up in a cheeky way they talk about their history in very subtle ways. They talk about the importance of the powwows. They talk about how they were treated in the educational system 
and how they've been, you know, and how the intergenerational trauma has impacted them and is literally killing their own communities. And so this is, you know, and this is also happening in Blood Quantum. So in this fact, this films, these this narrative that's coming out, it like reenacts and avenges the real horrors of colonialism and just putting it and just reflecting it back to us and say, well, you guys have already done this to us. And I know that that's that's also very, and like we said, we, and we see the characters of Dax and Ray in the characters of Trailer and Lysol, right? That those conflicting views of like, yeah, we, we want to try and cooperate. Human beings, we all want to exist together. But there's this anger, this very... Um, reasonable. Yeah, very you, reasonable right? anger. It's a yep. very reasonable anger to have. Yeah, it's in The Dead Can't Dance. There, that Generally, that movie is more of like, we're gonna we're gonna work together and sort of dominate and be very just like black and white revenge over stability and survival. Generally speaking, we're going to work together, like truly work together. It's a much more hopeful, light-hearted movie and ending. They do the complete opposite, where they use their blood to get a cure. And do they ask for anything in return? No. All they ask for is to go home. Just want to go home. They just want to go home. Yeah, exactly. So filmmaker Roderick Pocowatchit from The Dead Can't Dance, um, again, hard to find interviews. It was just within this, this article. But he said, when the white settlers did arrive, they did bring disease and they did almost wipe out our entire culture. So I really wanted to come up with an idea. What if we reverse that? What if we set the bar at zero and start over? And so that was the idea for the movie. A zombie virus breaks out, and in terms of zombies, the natives are immune. And because of the natives, the civilization would live on. This call for interdependence between races, but also with our planet. Mm -hmm. And as we know as white people, we want to destroy our planet and destroy everything around us. Lysol, again, he's very self-destructive. And though it's understandable, is it the most helpful? No, it's it's not. But it's understandable. So in this in this movie takes more of that interdependence with nature, with survival, with races to, like you said, set the bar at zero. Let's restart. They share their blood. They're going to save humanity by sharing their immunity so civilization can live on. I mean, the end of Blood Quantum may be slightly hopeful, but... I don't know because everybody is just still fighting amongst each other. They're fighting with their with their own communities. They're fighting with other communities. And that's what I think is the most realistic thing because that's what humans do. We fight. And we've talked about apocalypse narratives a few times. And like in the face of danger and annihilation, people humans are still just fighting amongst each other. We're not working with each other, which we need to do. And it's, it's so frustrating, but it's so illuminating in The Dead Can Dance to accommodate so we can ensure humans will survive because we can't keep fighting against nature. We've talked about this too multiple times. <laughs> have, yes. Nature has agency. Don't You can't fight against nature because nature's going to fight back. We're destroying the planet. The planet is fighting back by giving us plagues and pandemics and really nasty viruses so let's work together to work with it not against it and maybe we will come out quote on top but not be dicks and now we've arrived at spencer's final thoughts this time over a nice warm cup of tea provided by our sponsor brutalities since we're spinsters, we obviously love tea. One of our favorite things is to curl up with a movie on a cold rainy day or with a good book absolutely with a mug of delicious hot 
T. Brutalities is a company that we discovered at a horror convention and fell in love with. They have a variety of tea blends from black, white, and more, but what stood out to us was not just how yummy they were, but their spooky and metal-inspired names. With Screamsicle and Children of the Candy Corn, we thought Brutalities were a perfect match made in... I am obsessed with tiramisu. And I'm currently obsessed with Banana Bell. So go to Brutalities.com to grab some for yourself with listener code SPINSTER15 to get 15% off your purchase. For our Canadian fans, please contact them directly before ordering for shipping quotes. So now that we have our tea, let's put these spirits to rest. So a quote from the novel Moon of the Crusted Snow by Wabgashig Rice. Yes, apocalypse. We've had that over and over, but we always survived. We're still here, and we'll still be here, even if the power and the radios don't come back on and we never see any white people ever again. This was a very sobering but enlightening month of research and film. I am so glad that we did this, as it is very important to highlight the work of all marginalized people. We strive to do that as much as we can. Indigenous horror is a very overlooked genre, though I... No, it doesn't really have a large selection, but then it still shouldn't be this way. We should still be highlighting the movies that do exist, so then maybe folks can get some funding, and it's not such a chore and take years and years for them to make a movie. It took Jeff Barnaby years to be able to make his first feature film. And that's why I'm so glad we spent time with these filmmakers this month. I thoroughly enjoyed these movies and the research and this discussion today. This month, I also watched Jeff Barnaby's Rhymes for Young Ghouls, which is a horror-adjacent drama fantasy about residential schools. It was absolutely fantastic, and I strongly recommend listeners watching that when they can to get a deeper understanding of Indigenous history. It is an absolute tragedy that Jeff Barnaby died on my birthday, no less, October 13th, 2022, because he had such a strong film presence and vision, and he was also so outspoken about the importance of Indigenous film and educating us ignorant white settlers on our terrible, shameful history. The Dead Can't Dance and Blood Quantum show us the possibility of an alternative history. And if we could rewrite history, what would that look like? Frankly, it's time for white people, especially white men, to sit down, shut up, and let someone else take control. We have certainly done nothing but harm people, animals, and the planet. I would love to see what a brand new future would look like. These movies show us a glimpse of a hopeful future, not only for Indigenous people who were here well before us, but the entire human race. I was honestly shocked by some of the letterbox ratings when I went on to do my own rating for the for Blood Quantum. There was a lot of 2 to 3.5 stars on the film Blood Quantum, and I really couldn't understand why. But then when I read Barnaby's article where he talked about this burden of informing non-Indigenous audience about the historical roots of colonialism and white privilege, and as he quotes, and Kelly has brought this up a couple of times, a lot of people are not getting the film because they don't know the contextual history underlying the ideas. He observes, there's always an issue when you're dealing with non-native audience they're not going to understand where they're coming from and that's why when I felt like when I did the research prior to watching the film it really informed my watching the film and I could really see it and that's where I was really moved by the themes and by what was happening which made me think about my own past which made me think about growing up in North Bay living beside a, a reservation having friends who were aboriginal and hearing about the differences and how people were always highlighting the differences between me and my friend because of, of who we, because of their Aboriginal status 
status and because of who they are in the community, but then also learning about the constant systematic racism that exists and the constant hurt that has happened in these Aboriginal communities. I've met residential school survivors. It is heartbreaking to hear their stories and hear what they are going through to be able to come forward and become stronger and to be able to help educate other people. And this is where I guess what I want to say at the end of this day with these films is when you're watching these films, don't just write them off of being like just another zombie narrative or was it or it was too heavy handed on this or that. Look at it for what it is. It is providing you the history of a people who have lived on this uh, in this continent way before we did. They are the traditional holders and caretakers of this land and hearing their stories, hearing the actual stories of how what happened to them is really important. And so at the end of the day, I highly encourage people to go out there, educate yourself more about what's happening here in Canada, about the residential schools, about the truth and reconciliation, because right now what's happening in Parliament is just constant back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and kind of more just, you know, say we will do something but not actually doing anything, but we really want to keep pushing forward. There are movements that are going forward and they are pushing and they're they're bringing more change and bringing more recognition but with films like this and this is why i say horror is political it will always be political because of the context in which these films are coming out from in which the stories that these people are sharing so i'm super happy that we got to watch blood quantum and that we got to introduce audiences to this film the dead can't dance because it's such a deep cut and i really encourage people to watch them reflect on them and maybe reflect in your own life where you think you can make some changes or have some observations and so i'm really happy that we were able to do this topic and i hope that we are able to come back and talk about other films as more come out in the future so this ends our episode on indigenous horror for national indigenous month here in canada with the two films the dead can't dance and blood quantum we want to thank Dance with the Dead for our new intro and outro music, Kiss of the Creature, and to all your listeners, and we want to remind you to follow us on our website, spinstersofhorror.com. On all of our social media, you can find us. Just search for Spinsters of Horror on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We also have our Facebook group, which is the Spinsters of Horror Coven. We're on Letterboxd. Just search for Horror Spinsters or Spinsters of Horror, and you can check out all the movies we've covered. We're on YouTube. Uh, just search for Spinsters of Horror, so please subscribe to our channel we host live panels which we just did one recently that'll be there our mini-sodes get recorded via video so those are up there as well so if you want to see us and hear us you definitely should subscribe to our youtube channel we have a book club well jess has a book club she has a horror book club so please dm us for the discord server link if you would like to join please rate and review us on all podcasting apps and please subscribe everywhere we have merch, so please visit Tee Public to purchase a mug, a t-shirt, a tank top, whatever you'd like. So next month, folks, we are celebrating our five-year anniversary. Ooh, five years. That's, that's <laughs> right. We have been in your ear holes for five years. And to commemorate the occasion, we are going back in time and revisiting and re-recording our very first episode, Women Love Horror. The last five years have been quite the incredible journey for both of us, and so we can't wait to celebrate with all of you dear listeners. But until then, remember, the future of fear is female. <laughs>